Hi, everybody. Welcome to True Crime University. I'm your professor, Debbie. What do you think of my new theme song? I like it. It's from Jason Shaw at Audionautics. So, shout out to Jason for my new theme song. Uh, let's see what's going on here. It's a cold, rainy, and ugly day here in Pittsburgh, and I'm still sick. My ass has been dragging on this case, and you'll see why once I get into it. It's really, really convoluted, and I kept having flashbacks of when I was doing pre-sentences. It's, it's like you have to research their criminal history, and this dude, oh my god, there's so much in his family. They're all, they're all criminals, and they're all involved in today's case. And I'm, I haven't been feeling good. I've been having a hard time concentrating. You know how when you're sick, it's like you, you just, you don't feel like doing anything. Like your brain is just like, oh, well, mine is like foggy or something. So today's case is actually a request from my friend Lizzie in Colorado. So, hey, Lizzie, this one's for you. Um, I wish this was like a real school and we had textbooks. So I could be like, okay, class, open your books to page such and such, because I really want everybody to see the people involved in today's case, because this is something that you have to see to believe. And if you know what these people look like, you can appreciate this case better. And I do have pictures of them on my Instagram and my Facebook. So if you're able to take a look at the defendant and his family because I have a lot to say about him and none of it is nice. You know me, little Miss Potty Mouth. And I think if you see him, you can better understand what I'm talking about. But anyway, my uh, disclaimer, all of the information I present is available to the public any sound clips, and there are several here, are from news or court, which are also public. The purpose of this podcast is for information and education. I mean no disrespect to anybody, especially victims or their families, and I in no way intend to glorify criminals. I am not diagnosing anybody. I have no credentials. I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Sometimes I just like to pretend or play that I'm one. You know how little kids play doctor or nurse. Sometimes I like to play psychiatrist, but I'm not. So that's just a disclaimer. So today, we, in case you haven't seen the show notes, which I hope you have, we are talking about Nico Jenkins, and he is defined as a spree killer. In case you don't know what that is. The FBI definition of spree killer is somebody who kills two or more people in more than one location in a short period of time with no cooling off period in between, meaning like no break in between. So if you want to be technical about it, he might not fit the FBI's definition, but he does fit Ronald and Stephen Holmes' definition in their book, Serial Murder. They say that a spree killer is the killing of three or more people within a 30-day period 
usually accompanied by the commission of another felony. He definitely fits that category of a spree killer. So, for all intents and purposes, we are going to call him a spree killer. Nico Allen Jenkins was born on September 16, 1986, in Colorado. At some point, he moved to Omaha, Nebraska, which is where all of his crimes took place. He comes from a long line of criminals and drug and alcohol addicts. Some people with more time and interest than me have actually bothered to make family charts of all of these people and their crimes. And I will give you a tidbit of that. His mom is Lori Jenkins and his dad is David McGee. Now his dad I could find very little information on. He supposedly, imagine this, has a long criminal history. He's he's now deceased, but I I don't really know exactly what he did. His mother and father were never technically married, but they were together for quite a while. And they had six kids, with Nico being the only boy. They have two sisters who are out of state and they're not involved with the rest of them good for them. One is Sophia, who you will hear from later. The other one, I don't know her name. Then the defendant, who is now 34. Then there's Melanie, who's now 32. Then there's Erica, who is now 30. And finally, Lori, also called Lolo, who is now 25. And all of these people are involved in crime. Lori, the defendant's mother, is quoted as saying, My side of the family is nothing but alcoholics, crackheads, and drunks. It's sad. Aren't alcoholics and drunks kind of like the same thing? I, th I thought so. His parents were in and out of prison while he was growing up. There was drug and alcohol abuse in the family. He had a I would say he had a shitty childhood. I think that's fair to say. Is it an excuse for his behavior? Absolutely not. It might help to explain it some. His first recorded crime occurred when he was seven. Yeah, that's right. I said seven. In September of 1993, he took his mother's loaded 25 caliber handgun to school. And he would be removed from his mother's custody for a while, but was soon put back with her. I don't, I don't know where he went. When he was 11, he was arrested for felony theft and shoplifting and sent to a residential facility, you know, like a group home. In February of 1998, he was determined to be a risk to the other kids because he doesn't know how to act. He likes to beat people up and be a bully, and he was moved to the Douglas County Youth Detention Center. A few days later, he was sent back to his mother on probation. He was supposed to go to summer school, supposed to go to counseling, and supposed to write apology letters to his victims. I have a strong hunch that he did exactly none of those. Call me cynical, but it's just a hunch. In December of 1998, he assaulted somebody with a knife. He would have been 12, 12 or 13. 
And again, he went to the detention center. In March of 99, he escaped from the detention center and he was on the run for three months. Six months later, he went back to the group home. He was supposed to have a psychiatric evaluation, therapy, and substance abuse counseling. Again, I would not surprise me if he didn't do any of these. So soon he ran away again, and this time he was gone for eight months. When he was caught, he was sent back to the YDC. He escaped after one month. This dude is fucking Houdini. He was on the run this time for six months. Starting to see a pattern here. So, June 11, 2001, he was, mm, I don't know, 14, 15. His probation was revoked, and he was sent to the youth center in Kearney for a year. He was released a short while later, and while he was out this time, he did have some contact with his dad. I don't know the circumstances, I but he, I don't know if he lived with them or stayed with them, visited him, whatever, but his dad said that Nico pointed a loaded shotgun at him, and he said, you know, I'm af- literally afraid of my own son. In June of 2002, when he was 16, he carjacked a man. And then in August, a couple months later, he carjacked a woman. He jumped in her car. Well, first he asked her nicely for a ride. She said no. So he jumped in her car, put a gun to her head and said, drive. She did. Fortunately, she was okay. But he was arrested. On October 17th of 2003, he was sentenced to 14 to 15 years for robbery and the use of a deadly weapon in a crime. And he was introduced to the Nebraska Correctional System. Now, he did not do well in prison. He was in disciplinary housing unit, also known as solitary confinement or the hole. He was a frequent visitor to the hole. He had a habit of assaulting other inmates. He was written up for illegal tattooing in prison, even though you're not supposed, like, a lot of people make tattoos in prison or, you know, tattoo other people. You're really not supposed to because it it involves needles. I don't know if you ever had one, but they do involve needles, which is a no-no. For gang banging and making a weapon out of a toilet brush. In July of 2005, a riot involving about nine inmates broke out, and of course he was involved in that, and two years was added on to his sentence for that. This is a good one. In December 2009, his grandmother died, and he was given a furlough to attend her funeral. So, uh, corrections officer accompanies him to the funeral. And what do you think Nico did at the funeral? If you guessed, tried to escape, you would be right. Ding, ding, ding. He assaulted the corrections officer. He bit people, but fortunately he was corralled. More time was added onto his sentence, and he went to the Douglas County Jail. Over this period of time, he is seen by multiple 
psychologists, and mental health officials. Between 2008 and 2010, he saw three different ones, and they all had a different opinion as to what was wrong with him. Some said that he was schizophrenic, which is like legitimately mentally ill. One said that he had schizoaffective disorder, which is a personality disorder, which is not considered a mental illness. And other ones said that he's plain out faking. And other ones said he has antisocial personality disorder, which is we know as a psychopath or a sociopath. And we will get more into his psychology later. And uh, boy, is there a lot to work with there. He told one of these professionals that he had a desire to kill people at random. Never a good thing to hear from somebody. Okay, um, pause for station identification. I had to go get a suit if I'd imagine that. And I had to shut Nathan out. He was going to make this the Nathan Sullivan show, I think. And um, I forgot to mention, I checked my stats on who's listening and where. Well, I don't know who, who, but all I know is like where in the world. And I was so happy to see that I have listeners in Australia, Norway, and Denmark. So... I wanted to say, you know how I like to say welcome in in uh, different languages. I looked up how to say hello or welcome in Australia. I didn't want to say good day, mate, because I thought that was like stereotypical. But it, it said like the typical typical greeting is hello or howdy. So howdy to my friends down under and to my Scandinavian friends, a big welcomen. I hope I said that right, but I'm so happy to have everybody here, and it means so much to me that you join me in the classroom and listen while I babble on about crime. It means more than you know. So with that said, I when we left off, I was telling you about Nico, and he had been seeing all these different psychologists and mental health experts. And it was probably around this time that he first mentioned Apophis. And I know you're like, who or what is Apophis? Well, of course, I'm going to tell you. Apophis is an ancient Egyptian god who embodies chaos. He, oh, he's also called Apep. He was first mentioned in the 8th dynasty. The Egyptian priests had a book on how to fight him, which was creatively called the Books of Overthrowing Apep. You were supposed to spit on him and eventually do all these other things until you eventually set him on fire. He was called the Eater of Souls. He was part of the underworld. And when he moved, it was said to cause an earthquake. Like That, that was their explanation for why earthquakes happen. It's, oh, it's old Apophis down there wiggling around again. He was said to be born from Ra's umbilical cord. It's kind of gross. And he was, appears in art as a giant serpent. He's said to be 16 yards long with a head of flint. And I do have a picture in my Instagram and uh, 
Facebook a drawing of Apophis. It's just a big-ass snake, basically. So somehow Nico got it in his head that not he couldn't be typical like most people. Oh, well, God or Satan is commanding me. It was Apophis. He said that Apophis commanded him to do stuff. He supposedly commanded him to... Remember, the very first thing he ever did was he took the gun to school when he was seven. He said Apophis made him do that. And when he killed people, he said that Apophis demanded that he kill people as like a sacrifice. This was his, his reasoning for what he would do. So at some point he was put on schizophrenic medications. I don't know which ones. I'd, I'd be curious to know which ones. And the doctor said that the medicines seemed to be working. So they thought, well, he must really be schizophrenic because we're giving him these drugs and he, he's better, so he must really be schizophrenic. But let me tell you a little bit about psychiatric medications. Medicines for schizophrenia and bipolar like, you know, I'm bipolar and I take medicine. And it's not like, uh, you know, popping a Sudafed. They are heavy-duty medications and they really have an effect on you. So regardless of if you really are schizophrenic, bipolar, whatever, they're going to, I think, probably calm you down. Or mine, when I first started taking it, it was... um made me very zombie-like. I still kind of am sometimes. And and that's not to say, oh, well, I must be bipolar because my medicine works. Mm, I mean, that can be argued. But my point is, if you give somebody a strong enough medication, yeah, it's going to do something to them. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are mentally ill. So by December 2009, he quit taking it, and he said he didn't think he needed it anymore. And this is unfortunately something that, that a lot of mentally ill people do. They're, they feel better, of course, because they're taking their medicine. So they're like, well, I ain't taking that shit no more. So then they start acting, having problems again, and it's because they're not taking their medicine. So he would be like, no, I'm not taking that medicine. Then he would demand it, and then he would refuse it. And, and this just kept going on like a, a cycle. And one of his treatment specialists said that his symptoms were more behavioral than um, those associated with somebody who's truly mentally ill. One doctor said he was possibly psychotic, but more likely just antisocial. But he recommended that he be transferred to a mental health facility. Now, at some point, he did get out in 2010. He, he was actually free for a while, if you can believe that. And he got married. Um, her name is Shalandra. And they got married in February 2010. They were together for a whole four weeks before he got arrested again. And they were technically married until August of 2017. And you will... I will play you a little clip from Shalandra later on. In 2011, he was sentenced to two to four years for assaulting the correctional officer at the funeral. Remember when he did that? And he claimed that he had a mental breakdown as a result of 
my mental disorders. So Nebraska has this thing, or they they did it. I hope they don't have it anymore because since this happened, a lot of people have been pushing to abolish this law. It's called good time law. And basically what it is is like you're in prison and you get credit for good time, like as, as much as half the time you do. So basically you only do half the time you're sentenced to. Like say you're sentenced to 50 years, you only do 25. And a lot of people are like, oh, hold on, this is bullshit here. You know, we got these people like uh, Nico here out here running around doing stuff like killing people and he should still be in prison. And there will be a big public outcry when it's learned that he was let out of prison basically 15 years earlier than he should have been. So it is now 2013 and everybody knows that he's getting ready to get out and a lot of people are not happy with this. They say, you know, something bad is going to happen. This dude should not be out in society. And Nico himself even knew this. And he would write letters to prison officials and senators. And they're weird letters. They're like in, with the writing going in a circle or a diamond. And, and a lot of them are babbling and some of them, they said, are like totally incoherent, just like don't even make any sense at all. But the, the theme of these letters is that something bad is going to happen if you people let me out of prison. So with that said, he was released from prison on July 30th of 2013. Oh, I got to mention this. This is important. At some time during his prison career, he made a friend named Curtis Bradford who will we'll meet him again later. So, like any good family, his family had a party for him when he was released, and this party took place at the Travel Lodge Motel. And this little tidbit is kind of funny. It's like a, a soap opera. Nico, I can't figure this out, but he has these, like, I don't know if groupies is the word, or kind of like a harem or all these girls that like him for some reason and um, kind of follow him around. He calls them his wives. It's really disturbing. But anyway, one such woman was named Sherry Floyd and she was at this get out, getting out of prison party and so was his then wife, Shalandra. So needless to say, Sherry and Shalandra did not get along too well. What we do know is that Sherry and Nico took a shower because mm, why not? Shalandra found out and you know those two got into it. Somebody as a um, get out of prison present decided that, that a good gift for such an occasion would be a gun. So this kind of family he has so it's not really clear who gave it to him. Sherry has been blamed, but the more likely suspect is Anthony, a.k.a. Tone Wells, who was a distant relative of his. He gave him this uh, 
shotgun with two shells, and um, Nico had plans. These were his plans that he said that he, you know, was going to do with his life. He was going to move to Florida and commit robberies, or maybe go to Cuba and learn to be a mixed martial arts fighter. Both totally realistic, you know, plans. I kind of, I fantasize about moving to Florida too, but without the robberies part. So this is kind of interesting. This is how Sherry met Nico. Remember when his grandmother died and he went to the funeral? This is when he tried to escape. Well, for whatever reason, she was at the funeral too. And she met him and she said that she felt an instant surge. I'm not really sure what that is. I don't really want to know. And she would visit him in prison. And she gave him about $30,000 while he was in prison. And later she said, quote, I honestly can't fathom it, unquote. Neither can I, Sherry, neither can I. He asked her to tattoo her face, you know, like his, to look like him, to match. So instead of saying, fuck off, you wacko, she did. And she claims that the tattoo, which is on her forehead, means perniciousness or evil. And she said that she has another one that means I will die and kill for you, which is quite disturbing. And now she supposedly lives in fear and how to move, which probably is a smart idea. And remember I mentioned this Anthony Wells, the distant relative that gave him the gun? Well, he found himself in a little bit of, of trouble too. In January of 2016, for whatever reason, he shot into a crowd of 13 people and killed 25-year-old Joshua Hartwick, who was a Special Olympian. And in 2017, he was found guilty of this and sentenced to life. So these are the kind of people that Nico hangs out with. Now, he's got, he's out of prison. He's got this, apparently it was a sawed-off shotgun. And I do have a picture of it in my Instagram and Facebook. You can see it. And he would then commence his murder spree. And he, remember, these people did things as a family. So in each of his crimes, at least one other family member was involved. So the first murder took place on August 11th. He had been... Okay, I'm bad at math. Help me out. He had been out of jail for 13 days. Sounds about right. So, the victims were Juan, Aribe, Pena, Jorge, Ruiz, and they were ages 26 and 29, respectively. They were from Querétaro, Mexico. They were literally, you know, they, they didn't live here. They were like visiting or you know they were from Mexico but but Jorge's wife was a U.S. citizen and I could find out very little about these gentlemen she had a girl who was seven and they had two boys together and the other poor dude Juan I don't know anything about I'm sorry because I, I like to tell about the victims so these two men were at a, a club you know a nightclub and they were approached by Nico's sister Erica and his cousin Christine Bordeaux. 
and they said, hey, dudes, Dean's want to get lucky tonight, or something to that effect. And, of course, the dudes were like, yeah. So we'll, they said, we'll meet you at Spring Lake Park. And the men are like, okay, we have to go get money. So these plans were made. Now, they were setting them up, in case you haven't caught on to that part. Of course, Nico's in on this. And Erica and Christine would later say that they thought that he was just going to rob these men. They said that they had no idea that he was going to actually kill them. And, I mean, I can believe that. I mean, I thought that it's believable. Like, hey, go get these dudes and set them up and tell them to come to this place and we'll rob them and we'll share the money. I mean, you know, I can see it. So, the guys are in a white pickup truck and I do have a picture of the, the crime scene, you know, you can look at. And they pull up, you know, and they, uh, there's, at first, there were actually three of them and only Juan and Jorge were in the truck unfortunately at the wrong time the other guy I don't know his name but he was I think he might have been still getting his own money I don't know if this was like a prostitution thing like pay us for sex or what but luckily he wasn't there so they're sitting in their truck waiting like oh we're gonna get lucky you know excited so Nico jumps out of the woods shoots both of them in the head, takes their wallets, and takes off. So the other poor guy, their friend, comes, sees her body, he's like, oh shit, you know, calls the police. So Nico, Christine, and Erica go back to the travel lodge. This, this is a popular place in the story, the travel lodge. And the room in this, I don't, I don't know if it's the same room that the party took place in, but it's rented by his mother, Lori. And he told her that, he's like, Mom, I just robbed and killed two, I don't know how to say this, ECs, SCs. It's what he calls Mexicans. And I, I don't know if it, it was like his own kind of language. With Nico, you never know. And his mom goes, like any good mother would, well, did you at least get any of money? So, Nico was afraid that Christine got gunshot residue on her clothes. You know, you can't have that, because that's like evidence. So, Lori, the mother, gave her a change of clothes. Now, Lori, Nico's mom, was the one who bought ammuni the ammunition. And while he's on his murder spree, and they're looking for whoever did this, they catch her on video at a um, pawn shop and sporting goods store buying these bullets and they're they're called deer slugs probably if there's any hunters out there listening you know what they are but they're they're like big ass bullets and at first they thought it was christine on the video and it it took them a while to realize that it was actually Lori, nico's mom because you know he just got out of prison and he got this sort of shotgun as a gift so of course he needs bullets for it, right? So that's crime number one, or one and two. So crime number three happened on August 19th, which was eight days later. And remember I mentioned that the defendant, or 
Nico made a friend in prison named Curtis Bradford. He would unfortunately be the victim in this case. He was 22. He's a little bit younger. And there's a picture of them together. And you can see that Curtis is notably shorter than Nico. And Nico had a, an affectionate nickname for him. He called him My Little Homie. So this, this particular evening, they were at a barbecue. And they posed for this picture. And they put it on Facebook. And Curtis... The only thing that I really know about him is that he planned to go to business school, or he planned to study business at a technical school. And his family, and we'll hear from his mom later on, his family's like, don't be messing with that Nico. He is bad news. Stay away from him. Well, unfortunately, he didn't. So Erica, the troublemaker that she is, that's Nico's sister, she told him that Curtis shot up her house, which he didn't. She's just, like I said, just wanted to start trouble. So they make this plan again. They're like, well, okay, let's lure him to a place and then, you know, we're going to shoot him. So they, they lure him to 18th and Clark Streets in Omaha. And what the, uh, the pretense was, was that they were going to get together and commit a robbery. I don't know any more details like who or where. So they all have guns. So they get there. So Erica shoots Curtis in the head. But I don't know if she didn't do it right or she missed or whatever. But then Nico said, well, you didn't do it right. So he shot him again in the head and he killed him. So his body was found. Oh, while this is going on, their sister, sister Lori, not the mother Lori, but the sister Lori, that's who goes by the name Lolo, she stayed in the car. She supposedly got rid of the murder weapon. Or, I don't know if it was Nico's gun or Erica's, but one of them she disposed of. So, 7 o'clock the next morning, Curtis's body was found by his neighbor, sitting, you know, just kind of sitting there in a pool of blood with his brains in his hands. Now, that had to be Quite a disturbing sight. So right after they kill him, Nico and his sisters go to their cousin Brian's house. Because, you know, this family, that's the way they are. It's one o'clock in the morning. They're all excited. And Nico unzips his duffel bag and he pulls out two guns. Those are the murder weapons. And the cousin said that he saw blood and brain fragments on the assault rifle, which was you know, Nico's that was used to kill Curtis. So Nico cleans it in the shower. He's like, told him, you know, we, we killed Curtis, blah, blah, blah. So Erica is all fucked off because this was her first kill. And her brother is taking credit for it. How dare he? So th this is a little bit funny. The reason that they went to this, this Brian's, the cousin's house, Nico was actually staying with him. His mom and him thought that it, it would be a good place for him to stay out of trouble. Now, what they mean by stay out of trouble, I have no clue. Because remember, this is the same mother who bought him ammo. And then when he, when he said, Mom, I killed somebody, she's like, Well, did you get any money? And here's a change of clothes. Because we don't want that gunshot residue showing up. This is the same person. 
So Ryan later said that, and, and this is, again, totally believable. He didn't tell the police because he's afraid. <laughs> and uh, I think if I had Nico living in my house or staying with me, that I would be kind of afraid to because people kind of have his tendency to end up dead when he's around. So the fourth and final crime, this happened on August 21st. So this is 10 days later. And by the way, in the meantime, the first two to have occurred, you know, the two guys in the truck and now Curtis Bradford. So the police have noticed that the same kind of ammunition was used in both crimes. And they're already starting to link these two crimes together. And they know that they're looking for one person. So 33-year-old Andrea Kruger, she was a bartender at a bar called Deja Vu. And she was on her way home from work. It's 2.15 in the morning. Her husband had texted her and said that one of their three kids was sick. So she's like, oh shit, you know, better go home. So on her way home, she went to the McDonald's drive-thru. And she's at a stop sign at 168th and Fort Street. When oh, there's a vehicle in front of her and there's a vehicle behind her and they have her like boxed in and Nico jumps out of the first car and he go he opens her door instead of just carjacking her just saying give me your car no that because you know that's not his style he pulls her out throws her on the ground and shot her four times at point blank range killing her of course and because this is a family affair erica and christine are also in on this they i believe are in the second car which is behind andrea but we have a new player this time we have warren levering who is nico's uncle so andrea's lying on the road they take her suv drive a little bit and now, now, I don't understand this. The whole plan of this, behind this, was to get the SUV because I wanted one. So what do they do is they try to set it on fire, and it doesn't really work. It's like a piss-poor attempt. So what they wanted to do, they wanted an SUV. I don't really know why. But there was a little Wayne concert in town, you know, the, the rapper. And they... Reason that because Little Wayne was in town, there would be a lot of traffic. I go, oh, I don't know, maybe. And they thought, well, let's get us an SUV. So that's uh, they they saw Andrea's, and I guess it was a pretty color. It was gold, which sounds pretty cool. And um, they they targeted they targeted her because they liked the color of of her SUV. So Erica supposedly said to Nico. Why didn't you move the body to a ditch? That was stupid because he just leaves her laying on the road. And a little bit about Andrea. She was born November 21st of 1979 in Omaha. She was married in 2008 to Michael Ryan. And they had three kids at the time. They were 13, 4, and 2. And her husband said that he woke up in a panic at 4 a.m. He just had this feeling that something was wrong. So he turned on the TV, and on the news it said that a woman was murdered a few blocks away. And he 
just kind of knew that it was Andrea. And he's like, she's, she was almost home. And she was said to be spunky, charismatic, incredibly generous and loving, selfless, independent, strong, ornery, feisty, enjoyed the company of friends and family, and country music. And later, Nico was talking to Dr. Olivetto, his a psychiatrist, and uh, they're talking about this crime. And um, he's like, Dr. Olivetto's like, why did you have to blow her head off? And Nico said, well, I did him a favor, meaning her family. I went back and blew the other half of her head off, too. I mean, I mean this is the kind of person that we're talking about. And I do have a little news clip from the, the uh, this fourth and last crime here. Around 2 o'clock this morning, deputies responded to a call of shots fired. They found Kruger in the middle of the road near 168th and Fort. She'd been shot just two miles from home. We're told she just left work at the Deja Vu Lounge near 178th and Pacific. Douglas County Sheriff Tim Dunning uh, says neighbors here near 168th and Fort heard several gunshots just after 2 a.m. Then they say they saw a car speeding north on 168th Street. Minutes later, deputies arrived on scene and found 33-year-old Andrea Kruger shot to death in the middle of the road. Investigators say she was on her way home from working at Deja Vu Lounge. She left there alone at 1.47 a.m., 21 minutes after that, 2.08 a.m., the first call to 911 came in of shots fired near 168th and Fort. Witnesses told investigators the car sped off shortly thereafter, but they didn't have a description of that car. Now, deputies are still looking for Kruger's car, too. A gold 2012 Chevy Traverse license plate RWA 637. Investigators say this is not the car that sped from the scene, but they do believe this car has evidence crucial to finding Kruger's killer. Deputies are also looking for clues on surveillance cameras nearby. Okay, and what's so sad about these murders is, well, I mean, all murders are sad, but they're so incredibly senseless. And I guess all murders are, but they're so cold and heartless and there was no reason to kill any of these people. They did absolutely nothing to deserve what happened to them. And it's just, and the fact that the whole family is in on these, and if they're not direct participants, they know at least, or they help him in some way. And it's, it's just like sickening. Like you, and we're going to talk later on about, I'm going to give you into a sociology lesson about crime and behavior and mental illness in families. So it's August 2013, and by now four people have been shot at random. And the people of Omaha are starting to take notice, and they're, they're kind of scared. They're, you know, on edge now. And the police know by now that it's the same person. And guess what? We're going to have to continue this. Imagine that. So next episode, we are going to talk about the uh, Nico's arrest and all what happens while he's in prison or jail, you know, waiting for his trial, what happens at his trial, what he does, because his story doesn't end there, and what happens to all of these family members who participated in the crimes with him 
And like I said, we're going to get a little sociology lesson about criminal behavior in families. And this is the perfect family to study if we're going to study such a thing. I mean, it's like these people were made for such a an analysis of families that can't um, behave themselves or that, that, uh, that foster criminal behavior. So um, I have some homework for you. Remember I mentioned that next week I'm going to do an episode about something haunted that I'm excited about. So I've been thinking about it and I have gotten positive feedback. Uh, everybody said, yeah, you know, we'd like to hear that. But it kind of goes against the podcast. I mean, I, I started the podcast specifically for to talk about crime. So I almost feel like I'm, I don't know what the word is, doing it a disservice by talking about things that don't have to do about with crime. So I have a couple options that are floating around in my head, and none of them are, are solidified. They're just thoughts right now. So I would really like your feedback on what you think. Should I just talk about whatever I want? Like, yeah, Yins would like paranormal. I don't like that word. I'll tell you why. But, like, haunted stuff and, and um, mysterious things, too. Um, I was like, no, I... I'm only here for the crime. Fuck that haunted stuff. Or start another part, an, another separate podcast. And that actually is easier than you would think. Because once you have one, it's really not hard to add another one. So I would add a, a whole other podcast that's like, I don't know, weird shit. I'm just making it up. I'm not going to call it that. And do like, you know, one week I'll do a true crime university. And the next week I'll do a weird shit. Or if I'm really uh, productive, I could put the two out in one week. I mean, like I said, these are just little germs of thoughts right now. And I want to know what you think. So let me know what you think. That is your homework. Okay. And don't kill anybody. Or don't, uh, don't buy bullets for people unless it's like, you know, your dad hunts and he... You know, he's like, um, while you're at, at the uh, gun store, would you pick me up some ammo or something? But don't be like um, like Nico's mom. Uh, if you are invited to a just got out of prison party, don't bring presents like guns or ammo or bulletproof vests or weapons. Or uh, That should go without saying. That should be common sense. But... I personally have never been to a just got out of prison party, so I really don't know what the etiquette is for one of those, but I'm just assuming that you should not give these people weapons. I don't know. That's just me. But okay, I'm going to sign off until next time. Okay, everybody, take care, and I'll see you next time. Bye.